Hello, and welcome to the Country Roads Podcast with Blue Gold Sports. I'm your host, Lane Shepard. So, let's recap the Oklahoma game on, on Saturday a bit here. It was, Western U goes into that game a 33.5 point dog to what is arguably the best offense you know, in the country. You know, in the press box, they, you know, you have every school always gives out all these little handouts, and Oklahoma's they had this. Uh, they had a big blurb on the front of there. It says "Nation's Top Offense." When you look at OU's 2019 national offensive ranks, they're number one in the country in total offense, yards per play, yards per rush, yards per pass attempt, and pass efficiency rating. And then they're third in scoring offense, fifth in rushing offense, fifth fifth in passing offense, seventh in completion percentage, and twelfth in third down conversion percentage. So, the task in front of West Virginia in that game was was exceptionally daunting. Especially when, at least on paper and what you've seen, the Oklahoma defense is far better than what you've had in previous years with Lincoln Riley and certainly you know a few of those Bob Stoops teams. So, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting a lot. I was expecting West Virginia to, to get throttled in that game. I actually thought being down 28-14... to 14, in that game was was pretty was a good halftime score for West Virginia. It was quite a good score um good situation. Now it was it was tough. They had to fight tooth and nail, you know, scoring that last uh, on that last possession of the first half to to get to 28-14. But at, at halftime, I thought there was a lot of positives. Um the biggest negative would've been, you know, not being, you know, aside the 14 being down 14 points. What was fit? You know, fifteen rushing yards. I mean, that's a. It, it's hard to win at home, let alone on the road against the number five team in the country when you have fifteen rushing yards. Now, you can make the case those first two possessions, or the first possession Western you has, they run that practically the same play three times in a row to Sam James, and the third time they get a five yard loss, and that's that tip pass that really is. It, it goes down as a throw or as a pass, but but it's obviously kind of an extension or use of the running game. Uh, they're trying to ex- you know get Oklahoma's linebackers out of the box, get their safeties you know be a little bit away from the line of scrimmage, and try to help open up the run game is kind of the point there. Um, and it, the first two worked very well. Uh, you've seen West Virginia do that at times very well this year, and I think at time when, when the West Virginia's offense has worked proficiently this year, it's been because they were able to stretch the field east and west with plays like that. Whether they're wide receiver screens, whether they're running back screens, tight end screens, or doing tip passes, reverse, double reverses, things like that. Uh, The issue is that improved Oklahoma defense kind of shut that down fairly quickly. And and when you look at it, I, I thought the other problem was is the, their corners are improved. They have quite... Their corners are much better than the ones they've had previously, and they played well. And, you know, there's one possession specifically where Western Union takes on maybe their best corner, Trey Brown. Back-to-back plays, almost just pretty much a straight go route. He's got man-to-man coverage, that side press, press man coverage, one-on-one, no safety help. Both throws are good enough by Kendall. The second one was perfect. The, the first one... You could say is twelve inches probably too short, you know, maybe maybe you know a foot and a half, but you know you could have let him a little bit more and have been easier. But 
you know, Sam James let him take that ball away, like strips it out of his hands, and the second one he just doesn't make a catch on. And yes, you can make the argument while the first one, you know, Kendall makes a better throw on, but okay, it's a foot, foot and a half too short, but it's also like a 44-yard attempt. Being a foot and a half off on 44-yard throw, you're nitpicking pretty hard when you're playing against the number five team, number, you know, five ranked team in the country on the road. Now, if you want to beat them, yeah, you have to make plays like that. But it it kind of showed where that game was going in that you had two plays that easily West Virginia could have completed, moved the chains, got into well into Oklahoma territory, down to the, about their 35, and instead it's a three and out. West Virginia has to punt. You know, on, on third down, looked like some confusion as to where you know, the receiver was going versus where Kendall threw that ball because it, it looked like it was supposed to be a back shoulder throw. We wide receiver broke the other way, and luckily their corner doesn't pick that because he very easily could have. And what's funny is is I, I think I was the only West Virginia reporter, you know, media guy in the Oklahoma press conferences, and all their press conferences, when their defensive coordinator came in, they talked about how much better their defense was, how much better their defense was. And, and – to their credit, I do think they are a lot better. But, you know, they made a huge deal out of it, you know, stuffing West Virginia for only 51 rushing yards. And you're kind of sitting here and I almost want to ask them, like, really? I mean, we're averaging 88 a game. <laughs> like, what are you – It's, I mean, not not exactly, a, you know, a huge, you know, performance. You know, they held us, you know, 30-something yards under our average. Like, woo, that's great, 37 yards. Um, So, I – I think the offense, you know, the the defense played well in that first half, especially when you consider Hakeem Bailey misses that first half because he had to set up for the suspension of uh, for targeting in that second half against Iowa State. And then you lose Keith Washington's out the whole day because he's still into groin, just can't run. And like, if you can't run full speed, you can't cover C.D. Lamb. I think you can make the argument you can't cover C.D. Lamb even if you are healthy. But you certainly aren't doing it if you're injured. So I think they make a very smart, um, like you know, plan for the game, saying, "Okay, we're going to move Josh Norwood from safety to corner, where he played all last year. Let's bring in Kerry Martin Jr. Have him start at safety, so that way we only have one true freshman starting at corner, and not you know two true freshmen starting at corner. You know, to try and alleviate a little bit of that pressure and." And then in the second half, when Hakeem Bailey comes back in, Josh Norwood moves back to safety. But you still have, you know, when you when you look at corner, you, you still have, you know, Nick Troy Fortune out there, you know, trying to cover guys that he hasn't hasn't been trying, you know, doing all year. And you've got a true freshman in a very tough situation, in a tough spot. I mean, it's one thing to have to play true freshman. It's another thing when they have to come in five, six games into the season without playing at all. And they're lining up against guys who are going to go in the first round of the NFL draft against the number five offense in the country and a quarterback who's certainly in the running for uh, for the Heisman Trophy. I mean, that is a brutal situation to have to come in. So, and then the loss of Josh Chandler, you know, that, that, was, that was killer. I mean, I don't – linebacker and core right now is very thin to begin with. Losing – quite possibly our surest tackler in that level is you know that, that, that's hard to count for when when especially at the level of running backs that they have between sermon kennedy brooks 
So and and Brooks is Brooks has really stepped up and been their main guy. He had a, he had a big day as did you know Jalen Hurts running the ball because I think statistically they said after the game that was the the most proficient an Oklahoma quarterback has ever been other than last year with Kyler Murray against Baylor. And, you know, he only missed one. He only had one incompletion in the entire game. Now, we had one sack. Reese Donahue had a sack. and But defensively, that full strength, any defense in the country, that's a tough assignment on the road against Oklahoma. And I thought in the first half they played well. The only And I know they gave up 28 points. But given the situation of having a true freshman starting at one corner position, you have to move... You know, for for you know, and then you have to move a backup safety into play. You know, and that because of that, I I thought they I thought they held up well. I mean, I, I really did. I mean, Kerry Martin's a junior, and he had him starting at safety the first half. And I argue it's interesting in the second half when we got one more starter back. You know, Bailey. That's when they really you know tore it open on offense and just you know bludgeoned us and. I just don't think, uh, sadly, right now West Virginia is at a point where they can put down, you know, put together four quarters. And some of it has to do with depth. A lot of it has to do with depth, and then some of it has to do in the second half where you're seeing the offense because this is, you know, third, fourth game in a row. The th- third quarter, West Virginia just does nothing on offense, absolutely nothing. And what's kind of happening is, is they're coming up with, the, you know, West Virginia's coming up with the game plan. They're coming up with the strategy. It works fairly well for the first quarter, second quarter. And in the second, you know, at halftime, the defense is able to make adjustments and they're, the offense just doesn't have a lot else it can do. They're just, when the run game is that stagnant and your defense, the defense knows it. They know it coming into the game, but when they really know it and they see like, okay, you know, we can run whatever coverage we want. And in their situation where you can run, you know, press man coverage uh, for both corners, they can they can run whatever the heck they want defensively. They can use safeties to help with the run. They can use them to blitz. Everything's available when it's like that. And it is a massive advantage that they knew as much about our starting quarterback as they did. Um, you know, because it's instead of one of those things where, like, all right, they watch all of our games, they have some film, they break it down. They know everything about, you know, Kendall, as do their corners. And it's that's that that's that's a big deal because they, they know what to expect. They know what's going to happen. And while they don't know our offense, they can certainly, you know, learn our plays. They're not that complex right now. So that's. And when you take away the run game and you're really only having to focus on him, and then obviously when you're around 14 at halftime, they come out, score touchdowns, you're instantly down 21. I mean, you have to know we're going to throw it. You're a little worried about screens, but we're, we're throwing the ball. How much are you going to run the game, run the ball when you're down that much? So it's it's kind of an impossible situation in that second half, sadly, when the offense comes back out. And I thought, I thought Kendall played well. I mean, I, I think the thing that people see is that Letty Brown throw at the end where it's fourth and goal. We go for it. He's wide open, and Kendall just leads him and puts it in the dirt. And it was – that was ugly. And that's – I'll say this. That is a much harder throw than you think it is, that kind of touch throw. They're moving on an arc. 
but it's not it's not excusable. You can't miss that throw in that situation. But you can also rewind the tape a little bit from that position, and he throws a perfect ball, hits Letty Brown in the hands early in the game, and it bounces off the ground. So I thought Kendall played well enough for West Virginia to be in that game for much of it. The issue is is the wide receiver cores and our tight ends are not making any plays for him. The only person that did anything was TJ Simmons. And I think that's probably TJ Simmons' best game. But if there's nowhere for him to throw the ball, and when we have four or five drops a game, you can't expect a ton out of him. I mean, that the throw he had to Isdale late in the um, early in the fourth quarter was beautiful. That was a great throw on phenomenal coverage. Uh, and, and that's that's what he brings to the table. But that offense, when it if if there isn't going to be a a true possession receiver, which is what West Virginia doesn't have right now, TJ Simmons filled it a bit in that game. But West Virginia still does not have a guy that he can throw to on third and six when they need to convert a first down, and they go, "That's going to be my guy. That's the person I'm going to go to." Or that's the or the other team focuses on okay this is this is their possession receiver we better double cover him and it gives somebody else an opportunity that still doesn't exist yet for the offense and we're seven games in that has to happen it has to come up somebody has to step up so that Kendall knows hey I can rely on you and hit you with the ball and you're gonna make a play not just catch it but you're gonna at least make one guy miss one guy miss and T.J. Simmons did a couple times in that game. But we don't have somebody that can do it consistently. I mean, the big difference is is those two throws to Sam James that I described earlier with Trey Brown. A wide receiver, like we have to have receivers to get to a point they go up and they get that ball. They fight for it and they get that ball. It's a very similar situation to some of those throws against Texas. If you have better receivers, they make that play and it makes your quarterback look so much better. Because at the end of the day, they show the highlight, you see the catch, everyone cheers, oh, big game, it's on the stats. But otherwise, you just look at the box score and go like, oh, look at those, it's terrible, they didn't do anything. It It's not just on Kendall and I really feel like sometimes that's you know where all the blame's going and it's not it's not always there. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's fair, sometimes it is, you know, he made some mistakes you know, but but we have they gotta help him out. They got him out. And it's kind of similar to the offensive line in a lot of ways, where it's one of those there's a lot of these run plays where four of them will block beautifully and it's perfect. But one person misses the block and it doesn't matter. Letty Brown, Kennedy McCoy, Singfield, they don't have anywhere to go. And you're getting a half yard or maybe a loss on the play. You, as a team, you have to execute one on one across eleven players. Or you're always going to be insignificant. I'm sorry, inconsistent or stagnant at times, and that's what that's what we're seeing. Because what happens is, is we're using a little bit of smoke and mirrors in the first half, and when you get to that second half, you, you just can't pull it off anymore. They they figured out the little adjustments we've made for the week that they spent all week practicing on. They tighten things up, and we you know we kind of get you know choked out a little bit there, <laughs> get, get smoked. Um, so I do, I do think though there were some positives out of that game. You know, T.J. Simmons takes a couple steps forward from where he was in that game. That that could be big towards going for, uh, you know, possession receiver would be critical. You know, like for for West Virginia for to have something like that. And then I also thought 
that last possession right before half where you know West Virginia's down 28 to 7 and Kendall takes them down the field and scores that touchdown right before half is it's it, it's kind of it's you know I'm just want to talk about Baylor in a little bit here it's it's a core about making plays when they have to and about the team executing when they have to because realistically they're sitting there and they know all right we got 3 3 minutes and change on the clock Going into halftime, we're down 21 points on the road to the number five team in the country, and they get the ball to start the second half. If we don't score here, there's a very good chance they're going up 35 to 7, and that's it. That is a must put points on the board situation. At least a field goal, hopefully a touchdown. And they did it, they executed that. Now, does it make a difference in that game? No, not really. Not, not, not some, you know. <laughs> Obviously, you know, you're down 14, still half, and you, you end up getting crushed. But where I do think it's important is where you're shaping and molding a team and an offense to understand that what it's going to take to win big games and close out games where they understand, hey, this is when we have to execute, and this is when we're going to have to make plays. And that's, that's a big step for taking a team from where it is now to where coach brown's going to want to take this team you know that, that, that's going to be massive uh, i do want to take a, a quick moment kind of highlight some of the sponsors that help make this this possible you know thank you so much uh ashley o'brien she's a realtor with realty one group coastal of charleston south carolina if you're thinking of relocating you can reach ashley at ashleyelizabethcollection.com also bringing the Country Roads podcast to you this week is Wee Man Lawn Care, providing homeowners with the beautiful lawn they truly want and deserve. You can get a quote today at WeeManUSA.com. I did, uh, so obviously, you know, as I mentioned, I traveled out to Norman for the game. I hadn't been to Oklahoma since I think I was about eight, and I had, you know, didn't remember a lot about it, and I certainly hadn't been to Norman. Um, other than, you know, the final result of that game. It was uh, it was an incredible trip. Actually, my parents came out with me. You know, they're big Mountaineer fans. Uh, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed my time in Norman. Uh, their stadium. I mean, they call it the uh, the Palace on the Prairie, and it's it's a palace. I mean, it's one of those. I like Mountaineer Field. I I, I love my you know the, the stadium and, and the atmosphere. I would love to see West Virginia do what Oklahoma's done as far as like bricking the outside of the stadium because it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Now, when you're inside of it, you know I I, th- I think I think Mountaineer Fields as ruckus and loud as anything at sixty thousand fans. It's great, but I would love to see that that just that the beautiful brick that they put around their stadium just has such a nice you know feel and also you know really I think it would do a lot when you have the hospital when people come to Morgantown to kind of show where the program the university is to have, you know, just something that looks that professional and that beautiful. And I, I hope that's something that, you know, maybe in the future West Virginia is able to do. Um, I would also say I, I was thoroughly impressed how friendly, kind, and helpful everyone was, whether they were a Sooner fan or not. Uh, I was... I was really taken back by how many people came up to say, you know, how are you having a good time? Did you enjoy yourself? You know, I'd recommend going here or there. You know, after the game Saturday night, my parents and I went out for dinner in Oklahoma City, and a young guy came up and said, like, hey, you know, I, you know, if I have a second, can I just um, I hope you don't mind? But you know, you know, this is my name. I um, I grew up in Oklahoma. You know, born and raised. Went to OU. Graduated in 2014. I actually came to Morgantown in 25th 
he wasn't really sure what, what year it was. It was three or four years uh, for a game. And he said, he's like, I just couldn't believe how friendly everybody was. I was in the Blue Lot area. You guys have such a great tailgate scene. Everybody was offering me food and drinks and moonshine. And he just, he, and he came over because he wanted to ask my parents and I if we had the same experience in Norman that he did in Morgantown. And, you know, he just wanted to make sure that, you know, we were taken care of and then gave us some recommendations, you know, things to see and do. And I thought that, that was awesome. A, that he did that. And B, that, you know, West Virginia fans took as much care of him when he, when he came. And I think that's something we should be proud of. And it's something we need to make sure we're doing. It's one of those things that it's, it's phenomenal when you go on the road to other stadiums and people are that kind and that friendly and they show you places to go and help you out and you feel comfortable. And I want to make sure people feel that way, you know, when they come to, to Mountaineer Field. I mean, that's, I want us to be loud and proud inside the stadium, but you can also be, you know, pretty classy and, you know, show people around and recommend things to them. And that's what we got consistently the entire trip. People were unbelievably friendly. Uh, you know, big thank you. Shout out to, uh, to Jeff. He reached out to me on Twitter and gave me all types of recommendations for both Norman and in Oklahoma City. You know, thank you so much. I uh, It was really, you know, you know, nice of you to, to spend as much time and send me all the things that you did. You know, make sure that I had a great time. So, you know, thank you so much, Jeff. You know, anytime you're in Morgantown, you let me know and I'll make sure you're uh, just as taken care of. Um, great food scene. Like, my goodness, if you're if you're ever in Oklahoma City... And you want a steak, there's a place called Cattleman's just by their Oklahoma uh, City uh, stockyards. Uh, that I'm not sure if it's the best steak I've ever had, but I can't tell you one that was better. And it was good enough I went twice. <laughs> Once for breakfast. So um, there, the ribeye there was uh, you know, out of this world. Uh, Swadley's Barbecue was exceptionally good. That was a place that Jeff sent me right when I landed at the airport. And then Fuzzy's Tacos. There's a spot right there, and uh, that's actually in Norman itself. And, man, that place was uh, very good. Their queso dip, and then I'll tell you, you should have been there just to see my mother's eyes when I bought her a margarita that had a little Corona bottle on the top. I don't think she'd ever seen that based on the uh, the saucer-sized eyeballs that she had. So that, that was pretty that was pretty entertaining. So let's move on, get ready for the, uh, the Baylor Bears. So Halloween night, we're going to travel out to Waco. Take on the uh, fighting Chip and JoJo's of Baylor University. Uh, this this program has done a complete 180 twice in the last four or five years. So, you know, I guess you can say even before that. So, Baylor does not have a rich football history, really. I mean, very much was the private school in Texas that just got beat up on. TCU's private, but has a very good you know football history. Baylor, not so much. Art Bryles comes in, turns that program into a national power. Does very well for several years. Obviously, you know about the scandal there, all the cover-up of, you know, uh, like, you know, different, you know, just a lot of things where the team was doing inappropriate actions and it didn't seem like the co the president of the university and the head coach were doing a very good job of following through to make sure that those were properly handled. So he's out, and the program just does a complete nosedive. I mean, Matt Rule's first year, they win one game. They lose to Liberty at home. Now, they're 7-0. Last year we were there, they went 1-11. Now they're 7-0. They just pulled off a real tight win against Texas Tech and then fought back against Oklahoma State last week 
to pull off an incredible win there. And it's it's hard to express what a turnaround he's had and what a you know an amazing job that Matt Rule's done in his short time period there because that that program was in complete disarray. Any player that had any talent on that team at the end of the Art Bryles era left. They got the waiver. The NCAA said, if you want to leave, you can leave, and they did. They all ran out of Waco. So. You know, despite they haven't really played a lot of tough teams. I mean, Texas Tech and Oklahoma State are by far the best teams they've played. But the fact that they're seven and zero is—I uh, mean, it's hard to understate. They so I mean they, they beat Rice, Stephen F. Austin, UT San Antonio, and they're out of conference. So I mean, nothing of you know substance there. But regardless, Charlie Brewer, their quarterback, has their offense rolling. You know, they're averaging almost 40 points a game on offense. Only They're only allowing 19 on defense. And they're getting 218 yards through the air with Brewer. And they're averaging just over 200 on the ground. So, pretty balanced offense. Not something they always have with Bryles. And their defense is, it's, it looks like, it, or at least on paper, and when I've watched it, it appears to be better than, when, you know, the Bryles era, what they're putting on the field. Statistically, they're pretty good. But they also, like a lot of these Big 12 defenses, when they're successful... They're very opportunistic. They get turnovers, they take the ball away, and they make use of them. I mean, that Oklahoma State game, the Cowboys have a chance to come back, win that game at home, and Baylor's defense just makes the plays they need to, take advantage of turnovers, and score. And really put that game put that game away. So I, uh, and I think what's kind of important to that is that's what I kind of liked. Those types of plays is what I'm talking about with what Kendall did at the end of the first half, where the defense or the offense went down the field and made the plays it need to against Oklahoma to get a touchdown on the board before halftime. Baylor is starting to do that on defense, and that's part of the reason why this team has turned around the way they have. So it's going to be critical for you know West Virginia to they've got to develop that same kind of tenacity. And just, you know, whether you want to call it ball hawking skills, stripping the ball. Just making the plays they have to when the when it's on the line, and there's no other time to do it. So, I, keys to winning this game th- th- this week. Defensively, we got to keep Baylor under 40. I, I I don't think 40 points on offense is likely. So, I think we got to keep Baylor somewhere around the 28 point line for us to have a good chance to win. Offensively, gotta find some type of rhythm. You're not going to all of a sudden, you know, snap your fingers and start getting 200 yards rushing per game. But we have to get over 100 yards. And it's not so much, it's just a balance to where the Baylor can't count on us only throwing the ball and you can get some better down and distance situations. Third and long is the biggest enemy in the world to this offense that Western has right now. Because we right now, you don't have a quarterback, I think, who's exceptionally confident. And we don't have receivers that he can be confident in. So third and eight, third and seven, third and 12 are very tough assignments. They are for any offense, but not right now. Because if you're, if you're Kendall, and I'm, I'm not attacking his personal confidence level, it's more of the pre-snap, who, who are you saying to, this is I'm going to throw the ball to and complete this pass. This is my guy. Really not there yet. And that's why it's important that you have roughly 100 yards or more on rushing because we have to get to a point where you can go just pick up four yards at least 
at some point on first and second down to shorten the chains, make it easier. And somebody has to step up and be that guy. I don't think West Virginia can win this game if you don't have a receiver that has over 100 yards. You don't have necessarily to have one running back that has over 100 yards, but somebody has to step up and say, I'm going to be that guy. And they can cheat a bit on the run game by using running back screens, wide receiver screens on the edges, maybe some tight ends. You're going to see some reverses. You're going to see that tap pass, things like that. If not, just the motions across to help spread their defense out. And I think that's part of the reason why we're starting to see so much of the tight end been used the last couple weeks with um, you're not seeing Giovanni Haskins as much as you're really seeing. Well, I've seen so much Michael Laughlin playing recently. It's not, not as passing like his threat in the passing game, but his ability to block and almost be used as a more of an H back in, in trying to help get some more blocks down the linebacker level or collapse the end of the line. And, you know, that's really, I think it'd be big as far as getting the offense rolling in a better rhythm and getting some more consistency. And really, let's just see what the offense does in the third quarter. I mean, first and second quarter, West Virginia's been pretty good. It's the third quarter and fourth quarter where the offense just hasn't taken it to the next level. Nothing has happened. My final key is special teams. West Virginia has to win the special teams battle to win this game. And that doesn't mean necessarily, you know, fake punt, which we did execute against, you know, Oklahoma, although we did have a, you know, punt blocked. But the biggest point is that flipping the field and forcing Baylor to have long drives, put them deep in their end zone, you know, make them have 90, 85-yard drives to have to score. Don't give them the ball at their own 35 or 40. Make it along, and that's going to be, I think that's key. Uh, and I don't think there's any other way about it. Well, thank you so much. That's all I have for you this week. Really appreciate you uh, listening in. Please rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends. You can follow us on our website, Blue Gold Sports, on Twitter and or Facebook. And you can find me at, at Lane Shepherd 72 Thank you so much. Have a great week.